0: when you build a SaaS company, one of the thing that's absolutely critical about your technology is actually not even your technology, it's the platform or the partners that you choose to partner with and how their technologies evolve and change over time.
1: Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. Today I have Rex Curses, the
2: CEO of Asset Welcome to the show, Rex. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your company and what problem does it solve? Sure. So my company is
0: Asset Panda, and essentially, what uh, it—the problem that it solves—is it helps companies quickly understand information about the equipment that they use every day, uh, that their employees use every day to get their jobs done. So who has it? Where is it? What condition it's in? Any historical information about it, and then any ancillary information such as uh, training, maintenance schedules, that sort of thing. So we just help companies work smarter around the world. Tell me a little bit about your background. So, I am a serial entrepreneur. I've started, built, and sold multiple companies. I've done it in software, I've done it in IT services, healthcare services, and accounting finance services. So, I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. So, so where did you start? What
2: was your first company that you grew and sold?
0: My first company I grew and sold was a company called Resulte Universal. It was an IT services business. I started it when I was 23 and built it up over about 10 and a half year uh, time period and sold it to a publicly held company out of Florida called Spherion.
2: Nice. So how big did you grow that company to be able to sell to a public company?
0: Uh, That was uh, just shy of 30 million in
2: revenue when I sold it. And that was a service business, right? It was a service business, yes. So how did you come up with the idea? Like how do you know like I want being the asset management like space? So for me, it was it was an exercise in
0: in not necessarily focusing on asset tracking, but more looking for a problem that I thought a lot of people had. I had built up several service businesses, and as I was building one of those businesses, I ran into a problem. And the problem was lost equipment. And we were using one of the most ubiquitous accounting systems in the world with QuickBooks. And it had a fixed asset ledger. And that's where we were supposed to track our fixed assets. But we continually lost equipment. And as I really got into it and tried to understand what the problems were, I realized that it was a fundamental problem with the business model of accounting systems. And that fundamental problem was the people who have access to those accounting systems are limited to your accountants. And in our case, we had a couple of accountants and hundreds of employees, and those employees were the people using the equipment every day. And there was no easy, seamless way for those employees to communicate information about their equipment that would go back into the accounting department in a way that was easy for QuickBooks to consume. It typically happened over a spreadsheet or an email or a text. And when we would assign people to do audits to try to find the equipment, it was a war of attrition. And you'd start out with, okay, we've lost $150,000 worth of equipment. These three people are tasked with finding it. A week later, those three people have found maybe $15,000 worth of it. So then you go another week and another week and another week, and you start really kind of chiseling away at that $150,000 number. But then it very quickly becomes a question of how much is it costing for ha- to have three people working on that problem full time. And then I think any business owner, manager, entrepreneur has a conundrum. Do I spend more money to find the equipment than to get the actual equipment itself? So that was part of the uh, intellectual journey to realize that there might be a big problem here that existed. And, you know, like any good entrepreneur, y- you write your ideas down. I like to use a technique called mind mapping, so we start mind mapping the potential issue that I have and ways to fix it and then other ways that the company could benefit from better asset management and over time I felt like there was a pretty strong argument for a better better model for tracking and managing all the things that we use to do our jobs every day.
2: So you say over time like how long did it take for you to like doing the mind map exercise and figure out okay this is a problem worth solving and like so, how long from the time you say have an idea to actually start trying to solve the problem?
0: Yeah, so for me, the uh, the genesis of the idea really started in late 2010, uh, and I kicked it around and thought about it many different ways. You know, I know what it's like to build a company, and I know how tough it can be. Uh, so before you get pregnant with an idea and you start trying to go to market to it. I've been down too many entrepreneurial paths before to to realize that, you know, how difficult it can be. But I, you know, I kept thinking about the idea. I had other points of inspiration. I was on a business trip to Bangalore, India, and I saw a young man dr- delivering propane tanks on a rickety old bike. He had four on each side, and he was delivering them to restaurants, and he was using an expensive smartphone to capture electronic signatures. So of course, then I mind mapped the concept of not only having my equipment as a business owner, but then what would it be like for a company that was delivering equipment, maintaining equipment, and then refreshing equipment. Uh, and then I, I was had a little bit of a midlife crisis and I was doing boxing and kickboxing in a gym and my sparring partner lost everything in a house fire. And he described the communication back and forth with the insurance company. And if we have insurance and we have a loss like that, The insurance company wants a lot of detail about all the information that you had. And most of us, frankly, just don't have it. So I mind mapped that scenario as well and realized there was a a large opportunity here with consumers as well. And when I looked at the, the issues I had as a business owner, they felt very similar to the same issues that the consumer had and the same issues that the equipment delivery service would have. And I felt at that point that all the signs were pointing to a significant market and it wasn't restricted by geographic border or language. This is something that anyone, anywhere that manages a business uh, would basically deal with. But you know, we had to take a different tact on how do you solve that problem. So as a SaaS entrepreneur, that's sort of the road you go down. It's okay, I've got an idea. I think there's a market here, but then you have to go about inventing what the solution is and how you're going to market it, how you're going to support it, how you're going to price it, and so forth.
2: What's like the first oh shit moment that comes to mind from the early days of asset panda There's so many of them.
0: <laughs> so an example could be your partners. When you build a SaaS company, one of the things that's absolutely critical about your technology is actually not even your technology. It's the platform or the partners that you choose to partner with and how their technologies evolve and change over time. So a simple example, and I'm dating myself when I say this, but when we first started the company, iPhone 3 is what we used. It was, it was the latest phone that was out there. It really struggled. I don't even think it had autofocus as a feature in the camera just yet. I think that came with the 4. Nevertheless, scanning using an iPhone or an Android uh, phone at the time, it was difficult the lighting had to be perfect. There couldn't be much ambiguity to the barcode itself. You couldn't move much. So you had to really be on point in almost a pristine situation to get a clean scan. And most of the incumbent vendors that were out there were selling these mini computers that were high-speed scanners, a little trigger. You've probably seen them at the grocery store. And we were betting that Apple and Google would invest significantly in the uh, and their phones and specifically their cameras, and then their processing power. So as their systems got better, we thought our systems would get exponentially better. And that's proven to be true. I think uh, for most part, if you have the right barcode scanning technology, a handheld device that you and I or any of your listeners use is very comparable to any mini computer that somebody might want to purchase. So the partners and the evolution of their technology is critically important to SaaS products,
2: I think. Do you have another example of a very good decision that you made in the early days of running your company?
0: Yeah, so as we started to grow, we realized very quickly that the problem that we were trying to solve wasn't unique to any particular sector. We found that if you were running a police station, you needed to know just as much about your equipment as someone that's running an amusement park or a cruise ship or a dental lab. So, I think you come to a you come to a crossroads I think when you develop a SaaS product and really it comes down to are you going to focus on a TAM, so a total addressable market that fits a specific product niche. So in my case or Asset Panda's case is do you want to be the best in the world at construction or law enforcement, etc. Or do you and you make that purpose built or do you try to follow more of a platform strategy that can help anyone that's got a similar similar commonality of business issue that they're trying to solve? And what we found is uh, if we focused on the platform piece, we had a much bigger TAM. And as we focused on that, we found that things that we learned about tracking things for an amusement park benefited firemen and first responders and you know state and local governments. So it's almost a group think that you're getting within your application that you might, when you first hear about their feature request, you might think, well, then maybe that's unique to them. And then if, if you un- uh, unpack it a little bit more, you tend to find that uh, it's just another way to solve a problem that could benefit the entire customer base. So we went platform instead of product And because of that, it's allowed us to serve quite a few different industries and give our clients the ability to essentially configure the application to what their exact workflows were. And I think that clients tend to like software, but love their own processes. So we founded Asset Panda by delivering a, a flexible platform to our clients and giving our clients the autonomy to build out their workflows and their actions in the way that they want to work in the application, ended up being a significant uh, win-win opportunity for both of us.
2: It's another way to say that you have the option of going vertical or going horizontal. That's exactly and you decide to go horizontal. But there's a lot of challenges, of course, you guys are able to implement well when you decide to go horizontal, because now, like, how you, you get your messaging, your marketing, how you prioritize features, it becomes a real nightmare. And if you can do it well, like you say, that's where you put a platform company and a company that can be much bigger. So could, could you talk to us about those challenges and, and how you, you solve for those challenges, how you prioritize? Sure. I think of it, uh, the acronyms I use are
0: FMPs and PCPs. So the FMP is a fundamental marketplace problem, and a PCP is a perfect client profile that fits that fundamental marketplace problem. And as you define things within a platform, what you end up with is this really interesting matrices of FMPs and PCPs and how they match together. And then you take that information and apply it to your marketing team. So you're right, it, it creates quite a bit more challenges when you're trying to market to sort of a broad marketplace. But then there's also significant opportunities. So we try to focus on the problems that we're actually solving for the clients, regardless of what industry they're in. And we find that there's so much commonality in those problems that we're fixing, that the nuance of the workflows and actions that are specific to the clients are secondary to solving the main problem. If you can solve the main problem, and you can allow them to customize the platform to their specific needs, I think that's when you derive and our clients derive significant value. It makes it easier for people to use the application. It makes it quite a bit more value valuable to the client uh, because they are getting the benefit of exactly what you tell them you're going to do for them.
2: Of course. And again, that's the strategy of like, big companies like Salesforce, they don't try to be CRM for X. They try to be the CRM. But another challenge that you're going to have is like building that fully customizable platform. It's a lot more work. So how, how do you solve to that? How is your development team? How do you solve to, I don't want to be CRM for X. I want to be the CRM. I don't want to be asset management for X. I want to be asset management software. But how do you solve with the, for the problem? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, we constantly work on
0: re engineering and reimagining how things can work. We're constantly trying to reduce the number of clicks and the time it takes for someone to see value in the application. And it is a constant process. You know, one of the misnomers I think about SaaS or building any application is that you build it. And ultimately, you never build it, you're always building it. It's a constant process of innovation. And you know, with innovation, it's it's a hamster wheel of success and failure. You try things, you learn from them, you adapt, and then you succeed. And that's how we uh, that's how we look at Asset Panda. It's a constant work in progress. And our goal is to listen to our clients' needs, understand them unequivocally, and then to constantly innovate and try to find ways to alleviate any types of issues that the clients might have. Not necessarily just in our software, but in their business processes. And if we can save those clients time and make their lives easier, then we can continue to get clients. They'll continue to renew and we can continue to invest to make their lives easier and easier over time. It never ends.
2: For sure. yeah. I like to say the software is never done. It, if it's done. done, you're out of business. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so how big is your team? Like, Talk to me about like the size of our development team and the team in general.
0: So we have a pretty significant team for a company, for a SaaS business, I think. Uh, We're over 100 people total. Uh, Half of those are full-time W-2s. Half of those are contractors. We have a significant number of those people that are developers because we consider ourselves a thought leader and a leader in innovation. So we are constantly working on projects and planning things that are present day, that we know that we have a very clear visibility in the things that we need to do, but we're also constantly dreaming and thinking about different projects that we could work on. Some end up working out beautifully, some don't work out as well, but that's just the process of innovation. You know, you have to try things, you have to learn, you have to adapt, and then you succeed. So our our team is significant because we believe that the innovation process has got to be continuous And there's short-term and long-term innovation. And some of those people need to be focused on the short-term problems, maintaining the existing software, if you will. And then we have teams that are focused on the future.
2: Yeah, that's amazing that that you guys got to that point. And I think that's how you, again, stay ahead and trying to disrupt your own business, like thinking about how we're going to make it better. And it makes sense when you, you tell me that, we are a platform company or go horizontal. You need that bigger team to, to make that possible. But when you when you build your first version, what was the difference between that team that built that first version to the team that you have now?
0: Uh, it was a very small skeleton crew team. Uh, I believe in going to market as fast as you possibly can. I think perfection kills SaaS businesses. So basically what you're looking for is you know the minimum viable product or minimal lovable product, whatever you want to call it, you've got to get something out into the marketplace. You've got to get your message out in front of potential clients. And you've got to start taking the feedback. You've got to understand what they like and what they don't like, what they want to see improved, what they want to see more of. And I I think that is one of the most critical things that we can do as SaaS entrepreneurs. It's not about you and I sitting in a conference room and whiteboarding out the best solution that we think we can come up with. But the reality is, is, let's get to market. Let's offer a service and let's get feedback from our clients let's hear what they think what do they like does it solve their problem What are the issues and i find that the the smartest people in the room need to be your customer base and you got to listen to them and if you create mechanisms where you can get continuous feedback from your customers i think that's a winning scenario
2: what are some of those mechanisms that you create to, to hear the feedback from your customers
0: It could be chat within the product, easy ways to give feedback directly in the product, client reviews, uh, talking to the people, you know, scheduling time. Uh, You can create product teams uh, with your clients where they can give you continuous feedback. But it's relationships that you develop with people that have a business issue that you're trying to solve. And you know, developing a rapport with them. And, you know, when you do that, too, people understand that you're in this for the long haul. You're in this to actually solve a problem. It's not necessarily about just making a buck and trying to build a fast-growing SaaS company. You know, the beauty of this stuff is really getting intimate with your customers and understanding what their issues are. And then, you know, working with really smart, driven teams that are focused every day on trying to innovate and make it better.
2: For sure. So when you start, because I love like the great example that you gave of building a successful horizontal SaaS. But when did you start? You started in a vertical and then you went horizontal or you, did you go horizontal from day one? Well, we started with consumers and we started only
0: with the mobile app
2: and it wasn't successful. So
0: we had to pivot and we pivoted based upon the feedback we were getting of people that were logging in or downloading our app and trying to modify it for a different use case that uh, it wasn't originally designed for. So it was, let's get it out. Let's go after the consumer. Okay, the consumer, the metrics aren't really working for us. Let's pivot. Let's focus on these types of customers. And then you change uh, You change the application itself. You change the go-to-market. You change the pricing to fit the value that the clients have. But it's this, it's this uh, partnership, essentially, that you're, you're entering into with people that have business issues that you're trying to solve. That's
2: the way I look at it. Yeah. In other words, you build a tool before you build a platform. Yes. And then you, you test if that tool was solving a problem for the customer you want to solve. It didn't solve. You build a different tool for a different customer. And now it's solving the Or, or like we're the tool that you had. And then slowly that become a platform. So could you share with us like a blunder that you made in the early days of your company, like a wrong decision?
0: Oh, I can give you a bunch of them. I'll give you a simple one. Marketing. So I was building out our first Google Ads and I was using a handful of other uh, services as well. And as I built out the ad group in Google, we were getting a reasonable amount of traffic on the uh, organic side, but we're really struggling and our bounce rates were very high on the Google Ads. And we went months this way. And as an entrepreneur, sometimes we do silly things and we make blunders. So here was my blunder. Essentially, I thought I built out a really tight, And I would look at the ads and I just couldn't figure out why they weren't converting because the same types of non-paid organic information, they were converting. So long story short, as a bootstrap entrepreneur, I didn't want to press my own ad link uh, because I didn't want to be charged. So I would just go to the front end and look at the ad and go to the back end and see how I was performing. And, you know, I found out that the link was broken and it cost me quite a bit of money. Yes. So just a <laughs> lesson to spend money to figure things out. So yeah, that was a very embarrassing blunder.
2: For sure, it's very important to QA your funnel, especially your paid funnel. That's the lesson here. Absolutely. What point did you know you had built something that would last?
0: It was the diversification of the client base. And here's the reality of it. I was testing, I was going through that innovation process for the better part of four years. And I think it's important for your listeners to understand that. A, li- a lot of people look at Asapand and they think, oh, my God, he caught lightning in a bottle and found a market and was very successful. And, I, you know, he has the Midas touch. And the reality of it is I'm a gritty entrepreneur that just doesn't quit. And as I got into it to start to solve the problem, I could see what the marketplace was responding favorably to wanting a solution But then you have to go through the process of actually building it and learning how to build it because you're not trying to copy anything. You're not trying to be like anybody else. You're actually trying to focus on what the business problem is, and then you're trying to solve it. And maybe there's other ways to do it faster than I did it, but it was just good old-fashioned you know, elbow grease and sticking with it and working hard on it. We didn't get significant traction as a business until we were in business a half a decade. So it was about five years before we really started to understand what the product needed to do, how to price it, and how to market it. And I say understand it. There's different levels of understanding that we have throughout our SaaS journeys. I often describe building a SaaS company as like building a complex jigsaw puzzle that has no picture on it but lots of pieces And every little piece of anecdotal information, every software developer you hire, every Google AdWords is another piece that you're putting together. And then as entrepreneurs, we create the vision for what that puzzle is going to become. But it's just like building a puzzle. It's a lot of trial and error. You try things, some fit, some don't. And then you spend a lot of time looking through the big pile of pieces to try to find another thing that might fit. But if you stick with it long enough and if your intentions are pure and you want to solve a business problem, people will communicate back and forth with you and they'll help you find those pieces that fit, that benefit the other customers. And, you know, the the size of the puzzle and size of the business is just, it's a directive of what the market opportunity is and then what the vision is and the
2: appetite for risk is for the entrepreneur, him or herself. That makes total sense. And thank you for bringing it up because, again, so many times we just, we think something things go a lot faster than they actually go. You know, it's a lot of like staying on the game. So those five years, were you profitable? Because as a bootstrap business, you're trying to break even. So you say it took five years to, let's say, get to what I would call, based on your description, PMS product market fit, where you really know where you were going. But how long did it take you to start breaking even? Because as a bootstrap business, you want to get there sooner or later.
0: Right. So for me, it was um, it was year six before we started to become cash flow positive. And I had the good fortune of building multiple companies in the past and I had multiple successful exits so I could afford to test and try with Asset Panda over a long period of time. But it was um, it was a significant investment of my own personal capital. And obviously, a long period of time. So that goes in line with your comment earlier about you thinking that it's easier to start other businesses than SaaS businesses. And I think that's ultimately the reason why. It takes time to get product market fit. It takes time to understand how to price it and package it correctly. And over time, you learn these lessons that lead you to a path that you think can lead you to profitability. So for Acid Panda, it was about year six. And then, you know, you get to year six and you're cash flow positive, but you want to grow. So then you're very quickly making decisions to scale your business and making investments in other areas that will ultimately, you know, be a cash drain on the business. So it's a constant sort of catch 22 about how much you invest and when. And all that really comes down to the risk tolerance and the risk ability, the ability to absorb risk of the entrepreneur. So in my case, it was six years and a significant investment, but I was willing to make it because I felt like I could see it was a dramatically underserved market that existed.
2: That's amazing. So you're working full time at this business and funding with the money from your exits, or are you still running some of your other business in those six years?
0: So I had another business that I was running at the same time that overlapped for about a three-year period. So once that business was sold, then I focused on Asset Panda almost entirely. Um, I say almost entirely. I I, I have some other private investment organizations that I invest my own capital in. So for me, it was about a three-year overlap before I jumped into it. And I actually think that's kind of an interesting way to build a SaaS product. If you have a simple example, it could be a consulting business where you could help other people build SaaS products, or maybe you have a specific expertise in marketing or something where you can help other people as you are sort of keeping the lights on and paying the bills, uh, constantly working on your own SaaS product. I think having a long runway is absolutely critical to the success of these businesses long-term.
2: Yeah, I 100% agree. Like that's how I'm building my own SaaS product. I have a profitable consulting business and I'm investing the money in my own SaaS product. And the reason I'm doing is because I saw a lot of my own customers do it. They had like all kinds of different business and now they're building a software. In the industry, they're experts, but they are able to fund. And like you say, you're going to lose money for a lot of years building SaaS products. That's kind of how I see most of people building SaaS products. And again, it go back to your risk tolerance. I love that you talk about that. But go back to like to how mature of an entrepreneur you are. Because as a mature entrepreneur, you can navigate that a lot better than if you're not as mature.
0: I agree with you. There's so many lessons, you know, building a consulting company. You learn so many things about cash flow, managing employees, leading employees, developing a vision, a mission statement, what your guiding principles are as a business, how to market something. There's so many lessons to be learned, and I enjoy learning by doing. So by building other businesses, consulting, as a great example, is an excellent way to develop a maturity around entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship is hard. Building a SaaS company is hard. All this stuff is hard. It's not for the faint of heart. It's why most of these businesses end up failing. So um, having that emotional maturity and having that experience building up other companies really benefited me significantly in developing building a SaaS product.
2: For sure. Now, entrepreneurship is hard, like you say yourself. And if you're able to lose money for so long, I'm sure after your first exit, you didn't need to keep working. Why you decide to, to keep working and to build the next business? What makes you stay in the game?
0: You know, so for me, it's a primal thing. You know, as entrepreneurs, we like to talk about what our why is. Why are you doing this? You know, If you have a strong why, if that's a deep enough connection for you, I find that we can endure as humans almost anything if our why is strong enough. For me, it was my childhood. My father passed away suddenly when I was 10. Our family was on the verge of being homeless. Uh, We were evicted from our house. My grandparents moved to Texas, allowed us to live with them. So for me, it was my why was I felt like I was Iron Man. It burned in my chest. I never wanted to feel the way I did as a kid again, and I didn't want my family to ever feel that way again. So when I got into entrepreneurship in the early days, if you asked me, why are you doing entrepreneurship? It would have been very quick. I wouldn't hesitate. I would have said financial freedom. And then you're right. I did experience financial freedom when I was 33. And I had small kids. I'd been married about 13 years. So I got married early as well. And I really thought about what my purpose was. You know, Why am I on this planet? And it can't just be about money. So for me, it changed my purpose, and I realized I had a passion for building companies. I developed a skill set as an entrepreneur that was a very unique skill set that you develop as you go through the process of building a successful company. And I decided that my purpose then was going to be to set a good example for my kids, build a company that could employ people and provide great opportunities, and then help our clients in the communities that we work in. So for me, my purpose and my why now is setting a good example. I want to be incredibly successful with Asset Panda because I want other people to look at me and say, hey, if that guy can do it, I can do it. And that's what drives me today. That's why I, you know, I, hope, I hope I'm working until the day I die. Now, I, I may not be you know, running to an office every day working 15-hour days. But I really enjoy the process. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy seeing them grow, seeing them be successful. And that's the other thing as entrepreneurs. I think the irony of entrepreneurship and success is we gain our most success by helping other people. And by helping other people, it's the drive to keep going. And I kind of I like that as entrepreneurs, we always want to help other entrepreneurs. That's why I'm on this podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, thanks for coming. If you could go back in time and meet yourself for about an hour, like let's say, even before you got to the financial freedom, like when you were 30, so what would you tell yourself at that point?
0: I guess I would tell myself one, that it's gonna be okay and that this is a, a journey and it's not a journey about perfection. It's a journey about failure it's developing ideas trying the ideas most likely failing with the idea but learning from it then adapting pivoting and then becoming successful and it would just be to tell myself it's going to be okay and try to absorb as much information as you can from as many different places as you can read all the books listen to all the podcasts go to all the conventions you know take a chance on yourself to learn as much as you can because I don't believe anybody's ever born an entrepreneur. It's a gritty process. It takes a long period of time and it takes a lot of humility, admitting that you don't know things and then just becoming a lifelong learner. If you don't know it, well, I'm going to do the best job I can to learn it. And if I can't learn it or if I don't find it something that I enjoy doing, then I hire the skill set out and move on to the things that I enjoy doing the most.
2: For sure. And what book do you recommend for every entrepreneur?
0: Uh, there's there's a lot of great ones. I think of uh, personal development books like um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Seven Highlights of Highly Effective People, I think should be mandatory. Learning How to Sell, any kind of sales book. Uh, business books I think of are like Good to Great why do two companies with the same exact opportunity, why does one remain flat or fail while the other one ex, you know, succeeds in the similar market conditions and resource constraints? I like inspirational stories. I love Steve Jobs out of bi- I like uh, Phil Knight's Just Do It was a, big, was a big influence on me. And then books like Purple Cow and Who Moved My Cheese, uh, The Four Minute Manager. There's a lot of really good information out there. Uh, that we can learn from. And then, you know, understanding that the greatest project in our lives that any of us will ever have is ourselves. And I, I, I often in my entrepreneurship classes, I start out with the trick question. and I say, where do you think the most expensive real estate in the world is? And usually a student will say Dubai or New York or San Francisco or something, but it's the space between your ears. You know, the people that can conquer their own subconscious ma- mind and their brain and focus it in a constructive way and quiet the negativity that we can tell ourselves about ourselves and the circumstances around us. And the quicker we can get to a point where we really don't listen to the criticism of other people and we just f- focus on the fundamental truth that we want to become better, we want to become successful and just working on yourself to be the person that can be successful, it's a hard thing. You know, you have to have a lot of humility and you have to be willing to roll with the punches and you have to, every you fall down seven times, you get up eight. And I wish there were some kind of magic bullet or some easy way to learn all this stuff. But if there is, I never found it. It's just continuously learning. And that's one of the great things that I love about building a SaaS company. And I love about entrepreneurship is this journey doesn't end. And there's no limitation to it.
2: That, that's a great advice that you give for yourself and for everybody listening listen to this show. It, it's an amazing journey. It's not easy, but you're going to always keep growing. Thank you very much for coming on the show and, and to sharing our insights. It's, it's been probably one of my favorite interviews uh, that i ever done. There was so many other things that I could go talk to you about it, but I want to stick to our time slot. And thank you very much for coming. And if people want to follow you, learn more about you, what's the best way to do it?
0: Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to give back. It fills my cup, too. Uh, probably the easiest way to follow me, assetpanda.com or uh, Rex Curzius uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah,
2: awesome. Again, thank you very much, Jack. Rex. Thank you. I appreciate it, Phil.
1: SaaS Origin Stories is brought to you by Dev Squad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS origin stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.